In these uncertain times, it can be hard to make sense of everything that is happening across the world today. This is why the registry continues to bring its grounded and informed news coverage of everything real estate, to keep you informed and better prepared to meet the challenges of the industry. We are able to deliver the reliable news you trust because of generous readers who support our work. Thank you to your commitment to journalism, especially now. And if you're not a subscriber yet, you can join us at theregistrysf.com in San Francisco and theregistryps.com in Seattle. Jeremy Thornton has over 20 years' experience in the sourcing and structuring of debt and equity capital for commercial real estate transactions nationally and internationally with over $6.5 billion in successfully completed assignments in his career. His expertise encompasses a wide spectrum of transaction types, including financing for new construction, acquisition, and recapitalization of all major commercial property types, including office, retail, industrial, multifamily, and hospitality. He's an executive vice president with Collier's International in its San Francisco office. Welcome, Jeremy. Uh, hi, Jeremy. How are you? I'm well, Vlad. How are you? I am doing fine. I'm doing fine. Where are you? Are you at the office or are you working from home like the rest of the world these days? I have been working from home for close to five weeks now. Um, definitely getting a little bit of cabin fever. <laughs> yes, yes, I can, I can, uh, I can feel your pain also. So, Jeremy, tell me a little bit about, and this is more sort of for the benefit of our audience, a little bit about you know your background, uh, how long you've been at Collier's, uh, what your sphere of influence is at Collier's, and kind of which are the markets that you cover for the firm. Sure. Well, um, so I've been in the commercial real estate industry for about the last 20 years, started on the commercial lending side, worked for big Wall Street investment bank for years prior to moving over to the principal side of the business. I uh, was on that side of the business for quite a few years and then <clears throat> moved over to the uh, advisory side about 10 years ago, working with another boutique shop in the Bay Area but have been with Collier's now uh, about three and a half years. Started in early 2017 to start and run the structured finance group for Collier's based out of the San Francisco office. What we really focus on is working with both institutional and private commercial real estate investment companies to optimize property and portfolio level investments by sourcing and structuring you know, debt and joint venture equity capital for you know, new development, for existing products or, uh, you know, larger portfolio recapitalizations. Right. And is your focus uh, West Coast, uh, Northern California and kind of North? Uh, where, where where do you play? So my team here is based in several offices this year in the Bay Area, but we really cover, I would say, from a geographic standpoint, um, most primary and secondary markets in the Western half of the U.S. Great. Uh, well, thank you for that, for that feedback. So my sense, Jeremy, is that towards the end of 2019, you guys were, um, you know, celebrating a very successful year, uh, looking into, uh, you know, possibly another very successful year in 2020. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how how did that look like, you know, at the end of the fourth quarter of last year, and kind of what what your perspective for this year was back then. Sure. Well, as it relates to the capital market side of the business, I would say that my perspective was probably similar to most players in the industry whether some speculation that we may be relatively deep into the current cycle, I think overall, 
underlying market fundamentals were pretty strong. You know, we had positive GDP growth year over year for the last few years, historic low unemployment, continuing low vacancy rates and positive rent trends across most major property types in primary and secondary markets. Year over year, total investment volume was up both the fourth quarter of 2019 and the full year. Stable cap rates across all major property types with gains in some sectors, industrial in particular a mountain of dry powder looking to be placed. And on the debt side of things, commercial lending activity and, and liquidity in secondary markets was extremely strong. You know, there's proactive Fed action to lower short-term interest rates that was producing an extremely low interest rate environment for commercial borrowers and tight pricing in corporate bonds and TMBS paper. I think the combination of all of these factors kind of pointed to a very healthy investment environment in 2020. And I think transaction activity in January and February of this year proved that to be the case. Um, however, who could have predicted the COVID-19 pan pandemic and kind of the resulting economic impact? Yeah. And and your uh, your focus is also uh, not just an office, but is it also a multifamily and um, other types of properties as well? Is that is that accurate? It is, and we actually cover all kind of, I'd say, the, the five major food groups, office, retail, industrial, multifamily, and hotels. So uh, March of 2019 comes, and give us the rundown of what, what happens in your side of the world. Well, I would say, you know, as a company, Collier's, uh, you know, in general, is dealing with a lot of the same issues that other major corporations around the world are dealing with employee health and safety issues, kind of remote working policies and technology requirements associated with that. And I'd say, of course, how to stay productive and, and generate revenue in the current environment. I think Collier's in general, kind of due to the hyper entrepreneurial spirit and kind of fostered collaborative environment that sets us apart from some of our peers, I think we're probably uniquely positioned to not only weather the current environment, but but hit the ground running once the storm clouds start to gather or start to scatter. Yeah. So I think, you know, as it relates to, you know, us as a true service business, I think myself and, and callers, colleagues across all service lines, see this as a tremendous opportunity to demonstrate to our clients our ability to provide innovative and creative solutions when they need us the most. Yeah. But, you know, I think ultimately, uh, you know, I think most across the industry understand that we're going to see significantly lower transaction levels here in the near term, and it's going to take a toll on on uh, kind of revenues here in the near term. Yeah, and what about what about the industry itself? Um, what did you? What was some of the kind of Im immediate impact that you were able to witness? Well, I think just in general, what what we're seeing right now, and this is. You know, in our industry, both on the brokerage side and, and things, you know, working with probably about 300 or so different clients over the course of the last couple of weeks. What we're seeing right now, I think it really boils down to about four major themes. Um, you know, one, the obvious kind of global slowdown in commercial real estate activity uh, with the capital market sector affected the most. Uh, if you look at kind of the raw data, total sales transaction volume, increased by about 11% year over year in the first quarter. Yeah. However, you know, that activity is heavily front loaded in January and February. If you were to look at March alone, you know, total transaction activity decreased by over 25% year over year. And I think the industry as a, 
overall is bracing for a very dismal second quarter. Um, so until, you know, candidly, until there's a clearer picture as to kind of the scope and potential duration of the current pandemic, I think most investors with dry powder will be sitting on the sidelines. Yeah. What did you witness immediately following that in the, uh, in the debt markets? Well, I think uh, the biggest issue right now, and it continues to be, is that, in essence, the illiquidity in the debt capital markets right now. You know, with essentially being able to appropriately underwrite and assess risk and effectively pricing that risk has become a real difficulty in today's market. While I think there are some you know, lender categories right now that are better prepared or were better prepared for this current scenario, uh, I would say that the life, life insurance companies and banks that generally have more you know, stored liquidity, you know, right now the biggest issue with, with those two sectors really again is uncertainty around really how this economic pan or this the the economic downturn here will affect property economics in the near term and even the long term on on the flip side of that the you know debt funds and commercial mortgage rates are getting hammered right now um, i think ultimately their the liquidity crisis there stems from their ability to leverage their own portfolios and i think right now those those lender groups are due to the devaluation of a lot of their own current loan portfolios are struggling with with uh capital calls from from their warehouse lines yeah so it's it's a difficult situation no doubt what about on the equity side my my sense is on the equity side as well it's everything's just come to an absolute halt um no leasing is getting done. I don't think any deals are getting done unless they were very deep into the sort of process of, you know, getting closed. What's your what's your uh, assessment of, of that side of the business? Well, yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think here in, in the short term, what we've been seeing here, uh, you know, on the investment sell side or the equity side of the business is, you know, there, there are a ton of deals that have essentially gone sideways. The past few weeks, um, and we expected to see this here continuing to Q2, but you know, the percent of deals that were under contract as that fell apart as opposed to those closed, you know, the percentage there you know, in March alone was triple that of kind of the monthly average of the last three years. April alone, you know, while we're still working through April now, those numbers have even increased above March. So um, a lot of deals falling out of contract. We've seen a lot of buyers walking away from non-refundable deposits due to kind of the continuing uncertainty around the near and long-term economic impact of this. I think, you know, as it relates to kind of the equity side, there, there's a, as I mentioned earlier, kind of a mountain uh, of dry powder on the sidelines right now. Um, I think at last count, their last report that I saw noted something to the tune of about 343 billion of dry powder on a global basis geared towards real estate strategies. About 208 billion of that was geared towards uh, North American uh, real estate. Yep. So uh, the, the the amount of dry power on the sidelines right now is unprecedented. The difficulty right now is is really price discovery in the market. 
Yeah. Given the amount of decline that equities have you know, witnessed over the last couple of uh, you know, weeks or a couple of months, some companies, I imagine, are now becoming over-allocated into real estate as well. Is that something that plays, that plays a role in, in your side of the business also in terms of how they're looking at, you know, do, do they want to invest in, um, in you know, commercial real estate versus some other, some other type of uh, investment? I think, you know, we generally work with, you know, a lot of the larger institutions that, you know, real estate is just a portion of, of their overall, overall portfolio. You know, for example, a lot of the big life insurance companies, you know, a, a large majority of their portfolio is, you know, in corporate bonds and other, you know, more safer securities. And the, the real estate side of, of, of those portfolios, really, I would say, over the years have kind of drifted kind of between the, the 10 and 15 percent range. So I don't necessarily see, um, you know, specifically the life insurance companies being necessarily over allocated in real estate at the moment. But I think, um, you know, moving into the future here, you know, large institutions with mixed portfolios are going to take a closer look at, at really what their their allocation towards commercial real estate um, is today, and, and really what sort of exposure they want here into the into the future. Judging from how we experienced what happened in the last recession, um, one of the lessons learned was that um, there was a sort of a flight to quality kind of as the as the kind of recession progressed and moved along. Are you anticipating that also being the case in in this cycle? And if so, what is a good example of a um, of a high quality product where where you can see things happening? Sure. Yeah, and I do agree with. The, the flight to quality, and we're already seeing that today. I mean, there are still, in essence, deals in the market today that are continuing on and getting done. And if you look at the transactions in the market that are getting done today, they generally tend to be, you know, more core core markets, core assets. And so I, I expect that to continue as well. But I'd say not only as it relates to to flight to quality, but but I see, I kind of anticipate to see more of a flight to different product types as what's kind of been exposed here um, during the, this current crisis is kind of the, the retail and hotel side sectors of the business really getting hammered by social distancing. And I think a lot of folks right now who, let's just say, for example, hold mixed real estate portfolios. And when I say mixed, you know, mixed product types, I think there's going to be a diversification away from, you know, the retail and hotel sides uh, of their existing portfolios. And I think partly due to the fact that while while we're sitting here in this current, you know, the current pandemic, I think, uh, you know, in at least news reports that I've heard over the course of the last few weeks, you know, we might get through the eye of this storm, but that there very likely could be, you know, further events into the future. And that creates, you know, significant risks for retail property owners and especially hotel owners. How do you, do they really want to um, expose themselves to that risk in the future? And I think we're going to see a a lot of differentiation there. Yes, for sure. For sure. And also as uh, we evaluate, which businesses are going to be around and how they're going to manage through this whole process as well. Does the flight to quality also uh, have a geographical kind of um, uh, focus too? Have, have you seen that? Are certain markets and certain you know, cities um, you know, better suited to kind of snap out of this faster than others? 
Uh, I don't think, um, well, I, I do think their, their flight to quality, it really generally tends to be, you know, the more core markets on the East and West Coast, uh, you know, San Francisco, for for example, I think there's still will continue to be a lot of interest in in core assets and in, in markets like San Francisco, you know, on the West Coast in particular, Seattle, uh, Los Angeles, and yeah, as always, some of the larger markets like New York, um, I think Dallas and Atlanta. However, Dallas may be one exception with with kind of the current oil and industry crisis, uh, oil and gas crisis. Will be interesting to see how that plays out. So let's focus on some positive things. Um, I think it's it's there's there's a lot of out there in the news today about all the negative things that are happening happening as a consequence of this uh, virus, but. I think you know the most successful firms are those who are you know innovating during their this you know time, and I think that that's probably uh, no different for uh, you know lenders and uh, equity investors. Are you seeing some folks that are doing some things you know today that are preparing themselves for the next cycle? And what what are what are some of those stories that maybe you can share with us? Well, I think um, again back to the retail sector, for example. Um, I think that the the results of the, the current pandemic are forcing, you know, large retail property owners to, to rethink their tenant mixes. You know, as, as we look at the effects of the current social distancing practices, the exposure to potential future events is, is significant. Therefore, I think what we're going to start to see, especially on the retail side, is this folks start to rethink a little bit about the profile of their tenants and potentially re-envisioning existing retail projects into more kind of mixed use that that may not be quite as affected in the future by kind of current pandemics like this. And I think just on the office side in general as well, it'll be interesting to see how folks adapt to uh, the the new work environment once things are quote unquote back to normal. You know, a lot of folks, I, I've heard two interesting um, kind of disparate, uh, you know, views on how the office market will will change as as part of, as a result of the current pandemic. You know, one being that the, the, the current remote working policies that everyone are getting accustomed to will continue into the, the, the foreseeable future. And because right. of that, the potential for you know large companies requiring less office space because those remote working policies become a bit more liberal. On the flip side of that, I've heard that you know ultimately once once uh, you know employees are are able to start coming back to work, they're going to require more physical space, and, and because of that, the uh, the office you know office space required by any particular tenant will actually increase and potentially decrease, you know, current vacancy in the market. You know, I personally think it's, you know, I I think the former is more of a realistic scenario where where folks just get companies just in general get more or institute more liberal remote working policies. But uh, I think time will tell there. Yeah, and uh, I think it's an example of not, you know, one sort of one strategy doesn't fit all, right? I think we're going to see a, a spectrum of of those possibilities, and I think certainly 
um, maybe with the advent of more technology and additional things that we could do, you know, some that operate efficiently uh, at home uh, might be able to do so because they can sort yeah. of be as, you know, productive. But that's that's certainly, um, I think, a curious thing that a lot of people are wondering how it's going to play itself out. From uh, from an investor, you know, point of view and a lender point of view, are, are there any, um, you know, concerns that you are seeing today as a consequence of uh, what the government is doing, um, you know, you know, lowering their interest rates, do you see those being, you know, really long term? Uh, some some thoughts on that, if you if you can, please. Sure, uh, you know, one of the kind of major themes right now that I'm actively discussing with clients on, on both the the investor side and, and the lender side is is really the adequacy of the current federal legislation. Well, I think you know there's they've made a lot of headway in in promoting you know individuals and small businesses and help them stay afloat in, in the current you know in the current environment. And and Jeremy, when when you when you say adequacy, sorry to interrupt you. Do you mean have they gone far enough, or has it exactly. gone sort of broad enough to, in, to incorporate not just small business but but other institutions also? Yeah, I think from an adequacy standpoint, I think most of the people uh, or most folks that I speak to on a daily basis think that the the extent of the federal response has not gone far enough to really prop up the commercial real estate debt markets. <clears throat> I think there there has been some more recent talk uh, about additional legislation to support kind of the CMBS and CLO markets, which will be key to to really infusing additional liquidity into the market. Um, but at this point, it's still talk. And so I think a lot of folks are, are crossing their fingers, especially folks on, you know, from a lender standpoint, commercial mortgage rates and debt funds um, are really hoping that that liquidity comes back. And, and there's the federal support to, to help that liquidity back into the market. Yeah. So, Jeremy, when we come out of this, um, whether it's in a few quarters or a few years, how do you see the market playing itself out? What will what will your side of the business look like in the future? Well, I think my side of the business in particular, you know, won't change too much. I think the the folks that come out of this ahead are are really the folks that are most are are, are really most focused on client service. Um, but I think you know my, my personal opinion is that um, you know once the the storm clouds here start to scatter a bit. I think the both the investment sales side of the business and, and the debt side of the business will will take off fairly dramatically. Um, as I mentioned previously, the amount of dry powder sitting on the sidelines right now is is unprecedented. And with historically low interest rates, you know, I think the the 10 year treasury today is about 0.6 percent. Now that's about 200 basis points below where it was a year ago. So, and I think that the Fed in general has a lot of incentives to keep interest rates low um, for, for the foreseeable future to kind of get us out of, of, of this looming recession. Therefore, we're going into an environment kind of post COVID-19 where there's a ton of capital on the sidelines ready to invest and extremely low interest rate environment, which I think will help to really skyrocket potential transactional activity again once we see some stabilization in the market. And as you look at the West Coast and especially the markets uh, within the Bay Area and the Puget Sound region, how do you see those markets comparatively to some of the others 
coming out of this uh, whole recession or depression? Well, I think the, 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 the real differential between, uh, generally speaking, the primary markets versus the secondary markets, um, I think San Francisco in particular, Seattle in particular, Los Angeles will be the first really to to start to recover. As we see in, in most recessions, um, you know, the primary markets recover first, followed by the secondary markets. But, um, you know, a, a place like the San Francisco Bay Area, where it's not just San Francisco, but it's the whole South Bay and San Jose and kind of around the peninsula. I think f- for the most part, um, you know, most of those markets will do fairly well. Again, I, I think this really is the the long the longer term effects here really are going to be less geographic focused and, and more property type focused again with with the retail components or the retail sector and the hotel sector potentially being affected you know here for the foreseeable future great uh jeremy thank you very much for your time that was very insightful i appreciate you giving us all this uh, great feedback great well i appreciate the time Bob. Excellent. Stay safe. Stay safe.